Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cana Rinse Sound of Play 38. Sound of Play, every other Wednesday or thereabouts, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed and you've enjoyed over the decades. We started the show there. What actually prompted this this particular uh, podcast was uh, something that came up on our Facebook page, uh, which you can find at facebook.com slash Kane and Rinse. Um, we post uh, we post a lot of news stories from around the gaming industry there, and also articles of interest um, and other bits and bobs, as well as the things that we produce ourselves. It's well worth uh, giving us a like on there. Um, and recently, we posted a news article via Eurogamer, which um, I think this has been reported in multiple places now. But uh, the forthcoming game, Homefront: The Revolution. Um, you remember Homefront, don't you? It was, um, it was kind of. A, I think it was kind of a big flop, wasn't it? That was my. That's my perception. Um, anyway, so Homefront: The Revolution. Is this the first Homefront game since then? Has there been anything in the meantime? I don't know. Um, anyway, it's been quite some years. This game, Homefront: The Revolution, is in the works. Um, now it's being put together uh, at Deep Silver Dambuster Studios. Um, now I think. The uh, the brand is still uh, with Crytek, according to Eurogamer. Now, Crytek uh, was for Crytek UK specifically was formed out of the remnants of Free Radical Design, who of course were a bunch of coders who split off from Rare. So people will remember, I'm sure, the Time Splitters games. Um, there were th- Three in the end, or were there four? There were there, there was they were going to come back with a fourth. There was one, two, three, and Future Perfect. Is that right, or was it one, two, and Future Perfect? I forget. Um, but anyway, these games um, were generally well received, and well liked, and like the second one had a, a level builder in it and all this sort of thing. Um, but perhaps most famously, um, after the first Time Splitters being a PS2 launch game and offering a certain amount of multiplayer. Uh, local multiplayer shooting fun the second game uh, the opening level 
of which was essentially an homage to the famous opening dam level to Goldeneye. Uh, so I bought this at the time thinking, oh, spiritual successor to Goldeneye. And indeed, I enjoyed the first level very much. Um, but I found that as the game went on, it it kind of it trailed off for me quite a bit. Um, the the Goldeneye-esque start was was very welcome, but then it became a bit more perfect darkish and then kind of slipped into something below the <laughs> standard. So that piece of music, I reckon, that we opened the show with, that's so that's from Time Splitters 2, sort of, but it's from 2002. And I, I reckon some of our listeners now will be going, God, I know that piece of music, but but where do I know it from? And the answer is it's from a game within a game. This is from the multiplayer snaker-like game that was hidden in in Time Splitters 2 called Anaconda. Um, so this came up on our Facebook page and uh, poster Victor Och Magnus Nistrum, uh, apologies if I've brutalised your Scandinavian moniker there, uh, said the most important question of all is, does the Siberia level still contain the four-player snakish game Anaconda? It was the only reason we ever played Time Splitters 2, just to play four-player Anaconda. That main tune. The in-game cartridge for Anaconda was on a shelf in the Siberia level. If it's still there, I'll buy Homefront to play an old Time Splitters 2 level to play Anaconda. Inception. By the way, I'm totally requesting the Anaconda theme for Sound of Play right here, right now. So your wish was our command. That's by uh, Graham Norgate, the former Rare composer who worked on uh, Blast Core and uh, Jet Force Gemini and, of course, Perfect Dark before uh, composing the music for the Time Splitters games and uh, Second Sight and Haze as well and some work on the Crisis games. Um, and yes, uh, a cool Easter egg in that game. Now, I think it remains to be seen, but I imagine if, if Time Splitters 2 is running under emulation within Homefront, there'll be no reason particularly to remove Anaconda from there unless that was running under some sort of emulation within emulation. But yeah, we'll see anyway. An odd one, but there it was, a very addictive tune. Next up, we have Lingstud. And um, I have to say, this piece of music does not necessarily sound like, to the untrained ear, that it comes from the sort of game that it comes from. So, Lingstud says, The track I have picked is from Inazuma 11 Go 2 Chronostone. This football RPG sends you travelling through time and space to different time periods in order to extract the aura of different historical figures in order to create the ultimate football team and prevent football from being erased 200 years in the future. It is perhaps fitting then that the composer Yasunori Mitsuda has also worked on Chrono Trigger, which was also heavy on the time travelling. This track, Jean d'Arc's theme, is used only once during the game, yet it really stuck with me. It starts out softly, but with a firm pace and a confident melody line. It quickly increases in intensity, culminating in a sequence of three rather painful screams, which I believe was muted in both the games and apparently also the anime adaptation, before it turns back to the first melody line. Thank you. 
John Dark's theme. Now, I haven't played the Inazuma 11 games. There's quite a few of them now. Um, it's been a series that's been running a good half a decade or more. Um, I really ought to. I, I ought to like them. They, they, they're, they're written by Level 5, the people behind uh, Nino Kuni and, and Dragon Quest uh, and Professor Layton, of course. I'm a fan of that. Uh, they are sort of JRPGs. I'm a fan of that. And they're about football, and I'm a fan of that. So um, I'm not sure why I haven't played these. Also, they have music by the likes of Yasunori Mitsuda. So um, I probably need to sort that out. That game originally came out in 2012 in uh, Japan, but it did pop up on 3DS in 2015 in the EU. Um, yeah, a mysterious series to me, but um, somehow strangely alluring, <laughs> but not enough to have actually got around to playing any of them. And next up, we have something uh, perhaps more familiar to many of you. Uh, and this was a uh, this was from a game that we covered back way back in uh, issue sixty two and issue sixty five of the podcast. If you consider Shenmue and Shenmue two sort of a, a continuation and uh, an as yet unfinished continuation. And uh, as uh, community contributor Peter says. Uh, a, a game that I loved at the time and in no small part due to this fantastic piece of music.
So that was Sedge Tree by Takanobu Mitsuyoshi from Shenmue uh, from 1999. I'm sure that'll have stirred a few listeners, fans of Shenmue. Once again, in the style of things that we do on the Cane and Rinse podcast, crashing juxtapositions between uh, styles, because that's how we like it. We, we embrace the eclecticism of life and video games equally. And uh, so this is something from more recently, 2012, requested by Craigie H, who says, I've never played Max Payne 1 or 2, so I wasn't burdened with the expectation that many felt on the release of the third Rockstar-led instalment. Needless to say, one of the best things about the game, and it had many, including basic shooting mechanics and cinematic transitions between whiskey-soaked cutscenes and bombastic gameplay, was its soundtrack. Exemplifying this transition from alcoholic melancholy to pulsating action was a track from early in the game, one which cemented my love for the game's sheer confidence in its style and an apt title to boot. This is Painkiller by Health. Thank you. 
So we recently covered, well, say recently, some months back now, but relatively recently covered Max Payne 3 on the Kane and Rinse podcast. It was issue 174. Uh, earlier, we had covered 1 and 2, sequel those out. It's, uh, its fans absolutely swear by its um, third-person shooting mechanics, you know. They will cite it, uh, as as Carl from, from the team does, sort of as, you know, being far above and beyond uh, sort of Naughty Dog, for instance, their their third-person shooting mechanics. And, and I played through the game and completed it, and, and I was, you know, I wasn't that impressed by it overall as a piece, but I do appreciate that, actually, the people who really got into it, um, like our Carl and, and certain others... Um, you know, really took it to to uh, depths. You know, they 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 play these old these sort of hardcore modes, this New York minute hardcore type stuff, and the fact that the the game engine supports that. That said, I also I know that people who love the Uncharted games, you know, play them through on crushing and so on and so forth. But I would agree that as much as like I I for me the Uncharted games as third person action shooters go have have a lot more charm. Um, despite the fact that normally I'm very much into kind of grimy, gritty, depressing, downbeat th- things, in in this case, for whatever reason, I just found Max Payne a little dreary. But um, I am actually tempted. Again, also having listened to the podcast, this is you know this is a great. We we get a lot of wonderful feedback about Kane and Rince from people saying, you know, that they they listen to a show about a game they previously had no interest in and now they want to play it, or a game that they'd put aside and now they want to go back to it. And it's no different for for us if if we're not on a particular show. I kind of feel like maybe because I rented it and I kind of pl- breezed through it in in a few days, maybe I didn't give it you know the the time it deserved um so it's one i'd quite like to pick up uh you know if it turns up in a bundle on on steam or something like that i can imagine going back to it um but yeah perhaps that soundtrack's one of its uh one of its most striking aspects because you know they got this existing band health or caps uh to compose the the soundtrack um you know piece by piece for for the game um and a lot of people are very very fond of that and yeah, so we hope you enjoyed that one. Now back to 8-bit times and uh, less powerful hardware. Um, but this is a remarkable piece for a number of reasons. Uh, Robocop was a game, this is me talking here, um, that I remember being very excited about because uh, I loved the movie. The Coinock came out first, even though that was actually licensed back from Ocean, who had the home conversion license to Data East. So Data East released the Coinop, I think, in 88 or 89. And then the home computer games came out uh, shortly after. Um, and this was already the film had been around a while, but the video was uh, the video was a fixture in the VHS um, v- video charts. I certainly had a well worn copy, and I remember the advert for the game appearing at the start. Um, Robocop was number one on all formats for at least a year, as I recall. It, it sold absolutely gangbusters on Spectrum, Amstrad, Commodore sixty four. Uh, Amiga and ST. Um, there's an article on it on, uh, in a recent issue of Retro Gamer magazine, actually, which talks about the the pros and cons of the various ports. Um, and it's not a game that necessarily you you would get a lot out of going back to. I occasionally play the arcade version on Mame, um, and you know it's 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 fun. That the audio is fun. It's got a lot. The the arcade version's got much bigger sprites and than the than the home versions and. Um, I don't know how many copies Ocean sold in the end, but um, 
A lot. It sold a lot of copies. And I imagine that was only, you know, like one-tenth of the people who actually played it because every everyone would have been pirating it hand over fist as well. Um, I I had it on the Amiga. I bought the uh, the, the Hit Squad re-release for £7.99 and played through it. Um, and it, I was disappointed to find it wasn't quite as cool as the uh, the arcade machine. But this is what we're talking about here is actually the Game Boy uh, conversion. And uh, we're talking about music, so people may already know that the the title theme to Game Boy Robocop by Jonathan Dunn uh, was licensed by uh, uh, an advertising agency who were who were making TV commercials for Ariston, the uh, the white goods company. And uh, you can Google this; it's easily found on YouTube. Uh, a washing machine commercial with this haunting, looping eight bit riff, and this is from uh, Robocop. This is requested by Fidgety Acolyte, who says this seems really weird, but for such a typically average game, someone wrote a rather emotional sound but enjoyable song that only a very small population would ever get to enjoy. That is until Ariston took the song and turned it into a home appliance commercial. So this is the Game Boy Robocop title theme by Jonathan Dunn.
fans of the Robocop movie, the original that is, of course, the Verhoeven one, not the uh, the more recent, uh, slightly anemic effort, I felt. Um, watchable enough. But um, yes, people will note that uh, that theme to Robocop has absolutely nothing to do with the original Robocop theme, the uh, Basil Polidorus, I think is the correct pronunciation, uh, which is a theme that I like very much. And um, I think was probably used in some of the versions, but uh, but for whatever reason, uh, they just went with that on the Game Boy and uh, it became sort of famous. So thanks for sharing that and requesting that one. Once again, a huge jarring change of tone as uh, we venture to the world of Western RPGs and uh, Dom's Beard, who has, yes, I'll acknowledge it once again, has particularly more than anyone else requested that we cover uh, Skyrim uh, on the main Cane and Rinse podcast. And we still haven't. We still don't know if we ever will manage to cover the Elder Scrolls games in some some form. We, we're always thinking about it, Dom's Beard. Uh, and he says, uh, this always reminds me of the day I fell in love with Skyrim. I walked into Whiterun and this starts and slowly builds. It catches the game perfectly for me and is one of the highlights of a thoroughly beautiful OST. Every time I'd hear it whilst playing, it felt like coming home.
That's Jeremy Soul. I think that's how you say it. And the streets of Whiterun. I played a fair chunk of Skyrim, but um, I was plagued with the PS3 version <laughs> before I eventually moved on to the 360 and then and then PC. Um, kind of started at the bottom and worked my way up when it comes to versions of the Elder Scrolls V. But um, yeah, someday I would like us to cover the Elder Scrolls games. I know I've said this before. But there are challenges uh, as to doing that because I don't necessarily want to start in the middle of the series. Um, but playing the the early two games, Arena and Daggerfall, would be, I think, difficult to play and enjoy. However, uh, you never know. We'll see. And also, obviously, there's the enormous time commitment. Um, I'd want to at least start with Morrowind. Certainly wouldn't want to start uh, later than that um, because some people still... Uh, actually, you know, swear by Morrowind as being their favourite of the Elder Scrolls series because it was perhaps the game that um, took all the the you know the truly open world, uh, dynamic, emergent mechanics of the earlier games, uh, but brought them into a uh, in a into a more technologically you know impressive arena. And there are some incredible um, mods for Morrowind now as well, which make it look you know kind of right up to date. Um, but before the, the, it went down a more, you know, sort of um, prescripted uh, road with, with Oblivion and uh, Skyrim, as, you know, as, as, as popular and as highly rated as those games are. But obviously there are questions, there are discussions to be had around uh, the combat and one's agency in the world and the voice acting and <laughs> all sorts of things. So it would be a very interesting uh, series to cover, no doubt. Next up, we have uh, a track from a favourite downloadable game of mine. This is when this is from back in two thousand and nine, when you know talking about downloadable games was like a thing because now everything is both you know pretty much physical and or downloadable. But uh, back at the time of Shea Interactive's Shatter, this was a PS three release initially. Later came to. Uh, PC, Mac and iOS, I believe. It's a kind of uh, breakout slash Arkanoid update and it has a soundtrack which I personally adore and I, I'm surprised we haven't featured anything from it before by uh, Module. Um, but this track is requested by Robotic Monkey and he says, this track is how my brain remembers most arcade games from my youth sounding. For me, it's also one of those tracks that sets up a comfy spot in my brain and just gets stuck there. Let's see if it works like that for you.
Amethyst Caverns, which is a nice title for some crystalline synthy type stuff. And that is by Module, who is Jeremiah Ross, who is a chap from Wellington, uh, New Zealand. And I think, unless I'm mistaken, that may be his only video game soundtrack uh, to this point. But Shatter is a game you can often pick up cheaply on uh, PS3 or uh, on Steam now. And uh, if you ever enjoyed a sort of retro-styled um, arcade-type experience, especially if you ever enjoyed one of those bat-and-ball-type games, like Arkanoid uh, or one of those, um, I thoroughly recommend that particular version thereof. It's uh, I think it's really cool. Now, another game that we have covered on the podcast, on the Kane and Rinse podcast, this is. Um, I always talk about this in the assumption that there are some Sound of Play listeners who have discovered Sound of Play who still haven't listened to Kane and Rinse. Um, I think they complement one another very nicely. So <laughs> subscribe to both, please. Um, this was uh, from The Darkness. We covered both The Darkness games so far in issue 26 of the podcast. Really? Uh that's like many years ago now. Um, anyway, this is Jenny's theme requested by Scrussell. And Scrussell says, one of the best things about the game is that between all the brutal murder and supernatural nightmares, it knows how to take a moment to be quiet and have some brilliant character moments. One of the best is near the start of the game when the player character Jackie goes to spend the evening with his girlfriend and childhood sweetheart Jenny. The music captures the moment perfectly with a sense of fragility and tenderness, but also a melancholy tone that really pulls at the heartstrings, especially if you know the path the story takes as the game goes on. Thank you. 
As I understand it, that scene that Scrussell's talking about when bringing uh, that request into play, Jenny's theme by Gustav Grefberg, uh, is that that's the one where you can watch To Kill a Mockingbird on the TV in the game, I think? Because they included the whole of To Kill a Mockingbird in as a, as a video file within the game and you can actually sit down and watch the whole movie, I believe. And um, and there's an achievement or a trophy for it in uh, in the yeah on on both consoles, which is where this game exists. Uh, there's never been a PC version of the original The Darkness, uh, curiously, and that's from 2007. Now that's getting on for a decade ago. Can you believe? So yeah, I suppose it makes sense that our podcast was like four years ago. Right. So that was track eight. We have one more for you. But remember, please venture over to our forum at canerince.com. But also, we wanted to say, uh, you can also request tunes on uh, our Twitter, at canerince, or like uh, or like Victor did. You can uh, just mention something on our Facebook. Why not? Um, we'll open it up. I'll try to keep some sort of document so I don't lose track. Um, but we are actually now in a situation where we would very much like some more requests. We do have some more we can use, but um, but please keep them coming. Um, it's always nice if you just give us at least a little sentence or two as to why you've picked it or what you like about the tune, if possible. But if not, we'll make something up or just talk among ourselves. Um, yeah, request your favourites, other oddities. Uh, as I often say, try to avoid licensed tracks unless there's a very good specific reason that we can justify using a track. But as I say, uh, not just your favourite track from, uh, you know, a licensed rock track from Tony Hawk or or uh, Guitar Hero or something like that. That's uh, that's not going to happen. Um, but otherwise, yeah, um, Sound of Play will continue and we'll feature a selection of your picks in every show as long as we've got them coming in. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast, Sound of Play, and leave us an iTunes review or rating or a review or rating on whatever other platform you get this podcast on. I understand there are other things out there. Um, I feel kind of old-fashioned now because it was all about iTunes. When, uh, when I started podcasting six or seven years ago. But um, there's all sorts of places you can get podcasts now. Uh, as I've said on Cane and Rinse recently, let us know if you have a preferred uh, platform of podcast delivery that we're not currently available on, either uh, either podcast, Sound of Play or Cane and Rinse, and uh, just tell Jay. He loves to hear it. <laughs> he loves to be told that he's got more work to do um, by finding out how to get us on various uh, platforms. Uh, so thanks for joining me uh, and all our community contributors. As I say, do keep them coming. Uh, and now our final request for Sound of Play 38 is from Electric Crocosaurus, who says it's difficult to choose one track from what, in my opinion, is one of the finest musical scores of the past 10 years across all media but I've gone for the closing track. Eschewing the lush orchestration from the rest of the score, this choral piece, ably performed by the London and Metro voices, is both full stop and repeat symbol for the score. In the lyrics, we hear a summation of the themes of the game, yet the lyrics look towards the future, a new beginning they sing, wholly appropriate for the cyclical nature of the game. The structure also echoes the game, voices singing in counterpoint to one another before coming together in the final defiant refrains. 
It's a triumphant piece of music for a remarkable artistic achievement. So, yes, we will close with The Light We Cast by the horribly talented Jessica Curry from Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, and we'll see you next time. Try.